With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. In this weekly show, the Husker Online team will give you the latest insight on Husker football, basketball, baseball, and of course, recruiting. Now, here's your host, Husker Online publisher, Sean Callahan. Hello here and welcome to another edition of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, and Nate Klaus has... As we kick off today's show, um, it appears Nebraska very close to finalizing things here with Bob Diaco's coaching staff. Um, Bob Elliott, a longtime coach, in fact, um, was Hayden Fry's defensive coordinator all the way up until Fry's last season um, in 97 or 98, uh, was a Kansas State defensive coordinator when they won the Big 12 in 03. Um, he was Bob Diaco's right-hand man uh, at Notre Dame, but um, this is going to be the new safeties coach in Nebraska. And, you know, it, it's interesting because an early name did emerge. Daniel Bullocks came in and interviewed. Um, but the more you look at this, the more you read it all along, I think it makes sense. I mean, Diaco wants one of his guys here, um, and this is almost a father figure type uh, guy. He was Diaco's defensive coordinator at Iowa when he played. Um, he's really been a coaching mentor and someone that I think Bob has leaned on his entire career. And, um, you know, you want that veteran presence next to you, somebody that can tell you how it is, somebody that you can trust. And I think that's, Robin, when I look at this hire um, that's going to go down, I think that's why um, they go with um, Bob Elliott, even though he's 64 years old. Yeah, clearly you need to have that that chemistry and relationship um, uh, when you're, especially for a new defensive coordinator taking over with a staff that he didn't pick. I mean, you got to have a guy that kind of knows uh, what you're talking about already to kind of help translate the message, especially in the back end of that defense. And so, you know, with uh, you know a young cornerbacks coach Dante Williams being able to have you know a mind like Elliott's uh, to lean on, uh, I think that's going to be invaluable in, in getting that secondary up to speed a lot quicker than it otherwise may have. And um, yeah, I think just just the connection there um, it says a lot, but from a resume standpoint, uh, you're not going to find much better. You're talking about a son of a former head coach at Michigan. His uncle coached at Nebraska. Uh, he coached under Hayden Fry, he coached under Bill Snyder. So this guy uh, has been around the block and knows his football. And I think that type of experience and that wealth of knowledge that he has for the game of football will be invaluable for Nebraska during this transition. And I kind of look at it as, you know, Diaco maybe being able to, to split up um, some duties and, and being able to bring everyone up to speed a little quicker. Um, like Robin said, you, you know, Elliot could help the, in that secondary. Uh, Diaco, of course, is, is kind of a, an, expert, seven yeah, an expert with the linebackers and, and can kind of help bring along that front seven. And um, obviously, Elliot knows Diaco's defense inside and out and, and knows how he operates and what he wants and 
and the type of standards uh, that uh, that he expects out of things. And so I think this is a, a hire that helps make the transition a lot easier. Um, and then, of course, he checks every box on the on the uh, Mike Riley being an expert coach side of things. I, I think that uh, he checks off every box as, as far as experience. Um, you know, he's been around the block a time or two, and uh, and he's not a bad recruiter. He's had rec- success recruiting out on the West Coast. I know. Um, you know, coming from Notre Dame, obviously that's a program that recruits nationally. So uh, there's, I think there's a lot to like about this hire. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan, Robin Wash, and Nate Klaus as we discuss uh, the hiring of Bob Elliott here as the final piece to uh, Bob Diaco's defensive staff. And um, I think the question a lot of people though had is he got out of coaching at Notre Dame for health reasons. Um, he had a kidney transplant, uh, a bone marrow transplant, uh, age 64. Um, you know, y- you thought maybe this guy was just kind of phasing out into more administrational roles like he had at Notre Dame. So there was even a thought that, hey, you bring this guy in maybe to replace Ryan Gunderson as kind of a front office guy, um, you know, because of that's kind of what he was at Notre Dame, not necessarily a day to day traveling recruiting coach. But uh, that's not the case. I mean, uh, they, they want to go in a new direction. I'd be curious to kind of hear you know, Bob Elliott, when he does speak, just kind of where he's at and why he wanted to get back into position coaching. I'm sure the money, which is a lot better now than it probably was um, even five years ago, uh, when you see a guy like Dante Williams is getting 400000 I have to think, Nate, the money uh, for Elliott's going to be more than even what a Dante Williams is getting based on his credentials, and he'll probably maybe even have some kind of title with him. Yeah, his credentials certainly will uh, will command a, a higher um, salary than what Dante Williams did, I, I think. Uh, and that will be interesting to see if they throw on some type of, of uh, title. You know, I, I know uh, Elliot was a associate head coach at, at some of his past spots. I, I know he has coached special teams in the past. So do they throw a special teams coordinator title on this hire? Uh, I think there's a lot of different ways that you could go, but there's no doubt that, that his resume um, in, in the, the places that he's been and, and his overall level of experience commands a, uh, a high dollar amount. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show as you put the staff together, Robin. And I think now the question is, we are you know, 23 days away from the start of spring practice, if you can believe that. How much meeting time, how much installation is going on um, now that things are in place? I mean, I have to think, if not already this week, Monday morning all the way through the next few weeks, it is in the film room, in the media room, full speed ahead, figuring out personnel, figuring out what you're going to do because you're approaching spring ball here um, in four weeks, and you've got to have a baseline of things to go here as you get ready for that first practice. Yeah, I would imagine the bulk of it has already begun, and now even more so um, you know, as soon as Elliot officially is on board. Just because of the levels of uh, you know complexity involved in this, not only are you completely changing your base defense from a 4-3 to 3-4, but at each individual level, there's going to be transition. John Perella is going from coaching four defensive linemen to three on the field. you got two linebackers coached now with Diaco and Trent Bray both working with that position. You have two separate secondary coaches now uh, between cornerbacks and safety. So there are a lot of uh, voices uh, in the, that defensive coaching room, and they all need to be on the same page because uh, – 
if the coaches you know don't aren't delivering the same message that's going to create a lot of confusion uh, as this transition begins here in March so uh, yeah I would expect that things have already you know underway and will only continue to um, you know hit the gas pedal even more uh, once Bob Elliott official joins the staff and Nada I think you know one comparison I'll make on why it's important to let Diaco have a guy with him is Tim Beck you know when Tim Beck wanted to install his version of the offense. Bo Pelini had two staff openings on the staff where Beck could have hired an O-line and a receivers coach. And he had guys in mind, Ed Warner and David Beatty, um, I believe were on the hopper to come in in Nebraska if, if, if they wanted to go that direction. Bo Pelini obviously, you know, stepped in and, and promoted Garrison and, and, and brought in Rich Fisher kind of as an unknown guy onto this staff. And, I think Beck, when he looks back at it, is that that was a challenge for him to teach a brand new system that not one coach had experience with. So I do think that's why you know you need to have a guy like this next to Diaco uh, as that Tim Beck example is one I go back on. There's no question about it. You, you need to have someone on the staff who's at least somewhat familiar with what you do and what you're trying to accomplish. And and I think Elliot kind of takes that to a whole nother level, having worked directly with Diaco in the past and um, and and knowing his defense, knowing uh, what he likes to do with the type of personnel they have. And and I have a feeling that that uh, the personnel department at Nebraska, including Billy Devaney, uh, had things pretty well laid out in terms of exactly what they have on the team, what they have coming in, um, you know, on onto the team next this next fall, uh, laid out for all those coaches. I know Dante. Williams had said in an article on the, with the Lincoln Journal Star the other day that they've been meeting six, seven, eight hours a day already, and um, and that Diaco's a pretty passionate guy about his defense. So um, I know that uh, they've already got that ball rolling, and I think Bob Elliott will be able to kind of fit right in with uh, with what's already been going on. All right, well, we have a full show on tap. Nate and I have been on the road all week checking out top in-state talent. We're going to tell you what we've seen on the road. Uh, we're going to get an update on Husker basketball and, and kind of the state of Tim Miles and, and where things sit as Nebraska really has spiraled here uh, down the, the stretch of this season. Uh, then we'll take your questions in the mailbag and also give you an update on just the latest storylines in recruiting. That's all next here in this week's edition of the Husker Online Show. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan and Nate Klaus, fresh off the road this week. It's always fun. You know, every year, Nate, we get the same question. Oh, signing day. Uh, it must be nice. You get to take a little bit of time off. And I just want to look at him in the face and say, absolutely not. We don't take time off. We're going to high schools. And uh, Monday morning, five high schools. We were in Omaha at 7 a.m. and uh, hit another five schools on Wednesday um, so, you know, typically the week, week one after signing day, we're going to hit 10 to 15 schools and just start to get a better feel for the best talent in the state. Cause you know, the history proves we've been able to see and find a lot of guys that weren't on the radar uh, on our in-state tour. This is our 14th year doing the in-state tour, Nate. And, and it's, it's, it never gets old to me. I, I love going in the schools. I love getting a chance to visit with the coaches, put my finger on the pulse and occasionally uncover a guy that people maybe didn't know about, like a Mick Stoltenberg or a Chris Walker, um, you know, recently uh, David Engelhop at Norfolk Catholic. I mean, these, these are um, people that we get the opportunity to, to maybe get to see before anyone else knows about them. Yeah, it's crazy because uh, sometimes I do feel kind of bad that you just, you know, the, the 2017 class is 
just uh, just in the books, just freshly signed, and all of a sudden you're you're turning the page and, and looking towards uh, next year and, and beyond already. But uh, it, it is a good time to always get into these high schools and be able to uh, to connect with the coaches and, and see what type of talent is coming up. And um, and and like you said, there's always there's always a handful of guys that you're like, boy, I had no idea uh, that that this kid was was here and and was this good of a player or, or this good of a prospect. And um, and and I particularly like when you come across a, a young up and coming player um, and and you're able to kind of follow his progression for a couple years instead of uh, really getting to know a guy who's going to be a senior next year. So uh, and we we found a couple of those young and up-and-coming players. I think that that 2019 uh, class, especially in the state of Nebraska, could end up being pretty special. Yeah, I think, and you'll probably agree, the 2018 has probably four or five, you know, guys that are ahead of the pack, but there's already in that 2019 class, you know, a good group of guys that emerged. And let's start with Omaha Burke. I mean, that that was one, um, you know, we knew about Chris Hickman, the 6'6 tight end, because he got an early South Dakota State offer. But Nick Heinrich, um, he's a kid that I first heard about from Jerry Murtall, the former great Husker linebacker. Jerry was a speaker at our Big Red Breakfast, and um, his son Ryan, um, who played uh, at Missouri as a linebacker, is um, one of the defensive. I believe he's the defensive coordinator, or, um, you know, coaches on Lamaji's staff there at Burke. And um, so Jerry goes to those games, and he goes, "You want to see a kid that can play? Go look at Nick Heinrich, um, a sophomore linebacker at Omaha Burke. This kid's going to be special. He's six three. He's 195. He runs under 50 seconds, Nate, in the 400 meters. Had 15 and a half sacks in 10 games last year. Yeah, he's a, uh, I mean, talk about a, a kid, um, a sideline to sideline type of, of linebacker, a kid that can get downhill and, and he's physical. He, when he hits somebody, they are, uh, they're stopped dead in their tracks. He's usually hitting somebody so hard that the ball's popping out or he, you know, he's creating some sort of play. Um, but I mean, he's like a missile out there on the field. Um, definitely uh, a legit six foot three. You know, he's 195 pounds right now, and I think uh, that he'll continue to to fill out. Obviously, but um, I like the multi sport kids too. He, he plays basketball. He's you track. Know, he's, yeah, he's throwing down some dunks on, on the basketball court. Uh, he's a like you said a, a sub 50 second 400 meter. He also runs the 200 and a couple of the other relays. I mean, he is a, a legit prospect. Oklahoma, Iowa State have already been through uh, to see him, and and I think Iowa State could be you know pretty close to offering him actually. And um, I, I think as from what I've seen so far, I think he's a no brainer, probably a surefire you know Nebraska offer kid. Stay, if he stays healthy, and if everything. he stays healthy and everything, you know he's a smart kid too. He's got his academics in order, so I mean really is is looking like he could be the total package for that 2019 class. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show, uh, the segment of the show. Brought to you by Tanner Sports Bar and Grill with seven locations, five in Omaha, two in Lincoln. Uh, perfect place to catch your college basketball action here this weekend. But, Nate, as you um, you know, kind of look even in that 2019 class, Hickman, the tight end as well. I mean, he, he's got a chance to develop. So, yeah, Burke is one to watch. Omaha North has two really talented guys. Xander Gray, the, the sophomore running back, 6'1", 235. Uh, my only question with him is, is there a point where he gets too big? Is he going to have to kind of reshape it a little bit? He's a young kid, 
but you know, physically, um, you know, he passes the test for what he did as a sophomore. Yeah, super productive as a sophomore at Omaha North. Um, he's a big kid. He's a powerful runner, but he's got great feet and in, 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 in balance. I, I feel like he's pretty nimble on his feet for his being as big as as he is. You know, he's not just a, a bull in a in a china shop. There, he, he's a. Uh, um, you know, can he's got a little finesse to his game too. So, uh, but yeah, I think the his size, his his weight is is the question to me. Is you know how how can he keep that in, in check? Can he lose a, a 10, 15 pounds and and kind of hover in that that two ten to you know two fifteen range and stay there, or can he uh, you know kind of drop a little bad weight and and be a, a completely rocked up two thirty two thirty five and and just be a monster big back there. Uh, that you know, there's a couple programs in the region that that like those big, really big running backs. So, uh, but there's no question he's he's a kid that uh, that you need to keep an eye on for 2019. Yeah, and obviously in this 2018 class, there's some names that have really emerged. Um, kind of a, I would say, a group of about five or six. And we know about Cameron Jurgens and, and Mastery Maypu, the two Husker com- commits from Beatrice and York. Uh, but Nate, another guy that. You know, it will be interesting. Bryson Williams, Lincoln Southeast. I wrote about him this week in my three-two-one. That I think he could be a guy that emerges as much as anybody in this class. Six-two and a half. What is he? Two eighty. Yeah, two seventy-nine is what he said. Um, no fat on that body. No. Built very similar, like you said, to DeAndre Thomas. And you know, if you were just to compare film and and, and eyeball test of how these guys played. He's probably a better pure football player than Mastery Maypu, but Maypu has the size and the upside advantage. But this is a kid, Nate, that could force people's hands and maybe even Nebraska's hand to make an offer in 2018 here. I think so. I'm I'm a big fan of Bryson Williams as a player. I think that, uh, um, like you said, uh, he, he reminds me, his build at 279, there's zero bad weight on this kid. He reminds me almost a, identically of uh, of DeAndre Thomas, the the Husker defensive tackle signee out of Oklahoma. Um, he's got a great great uh, great motor. Um, he uses his hands very well. This is, uh, I mean, he's he's a kid at, at Nebraska's Friday Night Lights camp last year. I actually thought that Bryson Williams outplayed. Um, Mastery Maypew. I felt like he was probably the better player that night. I, I think Maypew you know, probably has the higher ceiling as a prospect, but there's no question that Bryson Williams is going to you know, command some respect here in the recruiting game because um, he's going to blow up. He he already has a couple offers, South Dakota, South Dakota State, but there's no no doubt in my mind he's going to be, at the very least, a, kind of a, a regional offer guy here going forward. And then, you know, lastly, as we kind of wrap it up here on the in-state tour, Cameron Jurgens has grown an inch, added 10 pounds. He's now 6'4", 245 um, in his junior year. And, you know, we, we've spent as much time with this kid as anybody in our history of the in-state tour. We've met with him now three straight years in a row. I can remember I first heard about him from another college coach, and he said, you got to see this freshman tight end at, at Beatrice. And this was a group of five assistant coach. And he goes, we're wasting our time. I mean, he's, he's going to be way above our level. And, and you know, it was interesting, Nate, to hear him this week talk about the teams that still continue to contact him, including LSU, who is on him um, like white on rice right now. Yeah, LSU, he said that 
there, at least three times a day he gets messages from LSU um, and from as many as three different coaches on their on their staff. They're coming after him hard, um, and that's to be somewhat to be expected when you have a, a top 100 talent in the state. You know, a lot of times, especially at this point in the recruiting process, teams kind of start off by uh, going down a list. You know, the top 100 players, top 250 players, they kind of start um, evaluating some guys that they weren't able to get out and see in person and. And Cameron Jurgens is as is as good of a, a player as anybody in the country. I mean, he's a, a legitimate top target. We have him in our top one hundred. Um, you know, and I think I think he can only go up from there, to be honest with you. When you look at his body of work, what he's done on the football field, on the basketball court. Number um, one in the nation in shot and disc for sophomores last yeah, year. I mean he's a world class athlete. Yeah. I mean, when you put put in those numbers in perspective that he's number one in this country in, in some of those track marks and it it just comes easy to him. Yeah. It's uh, I mean, he I hate, you know, throwing out a bunch of hyperbole on on guys, but he legitimately has a shot to be kind of a legendary high school figure in the state. A Larry Station, a Scott Frost. I mean, someone of that nature, if it continues down that road. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's uh, he's that type of of kid. Um, And and the best thing about it is that he is about as humble uh, as a kid that you can ask for. I mean, he's just a real down to earth, um, you know, not not uh, full of a bunch of drama or anything like that. So, uh, you know, Cameron Jurgens has is, is got a chance to be pretty darn special. We'll have more, though, throughout our, our tour as uh, we'll be out on the road for at least the next couple of weeks as we have several more uh, stops to make here. But when we come back, we're going to shift over to basketball as we discuss the current state of the program and, and where things are at with Coach Miles as this team continues to kind of spiral down the stretch. That's all next year. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washen, and we're kind of reaching that final stretch run of this basketball season. Uh, as we know, there's been a lot of peaks and valleys here with this 2016-17 Husker team. Great wins at Maryland and Indiana. Quality went over a team like Dayton. It played UCLA very respectable. Um, then you, you get a huge home win against Purdue, but the season just still hasn't had that moment of consistency uh, where Nebraska kind of just had that one or two things happen where it, it turned around. And, you know, this team now um, going to probably finish the losing record unless things really change here the last uh, month of the season, but a uh, very tough stretch here still to go. And uh, it, it's debated, it's brought up a lot of questions, Robin, about kind of the future of this program. We know it's a young roster, um, but you know, it, it's going to be interesting to kind of see how this last month plays out. Yeah. And right now, I'm still at the point where I don't think anything drastic is going to happen in terms of any coaching firings or, or anything to that extent. But um, like you said, there's still time <laughs> with the, the final uh, handful of games they have left here on the Big Ten tournament. They need to find a way to keep this ship afloat or, or at least relatively afloat and uh, not let it turn into a total disaster like we saw a couple years ago um, in 2014-15. And um, you know, that's not going to be easy. I mean, you're, you're talking about some pretty difficult games still left on your schedule with very few, if any, uh, quote unquote, winny or gimme games. Uh, and so, uh, I mean, there's a lot of work to be done here. And then for a team that has, you know, lost 
Um, you know, seven of eight going into their game against Wisconsin. Um, you know, the, that's that's a chore right now because just finding ways to win has become increasingly difficult. I think they found about every single possible way to lose a game uh, that you can think of uh, this year. And so um, you got to wonder how much fuel is left in the tank uh, to finish thing, this thing out strong. But um, I still think it, unless it's a total disaster, um, you, you're going to see um, Tim Miles and his staff back here next season. And, you know, I know that... Uh, one thing Nebraska fans hate to hear is next year is the year because they've been hearing that for you know it's about, like a Cubs about, fan about two decades now <laughs> under three different coaching staffs and uh, it just hasn't happened outside of you know one kind of flash in the pan year uh, a few years ago. So, um, but truly, the, I do think that you know 2017-18 season is the year that you really have to base you know whether this coaching staff is is here for the long haul um, with the amount of talent that they're bringing in or have uh, coming in um, between transfers between um, you know the the sophomore class currently you know going to be juniors next season um, and the freshman class that has had to play a lot of minutes this year um, the experience won't be uh, a factor anymore I mean they're going to have the most experienced team that Tim Miles has ever had um, from a talent standpoint and a ranking standpoint it'll be the most talent he's ever had maybe the most talent Nebraska's had since Danny Knee uh, and the schedule will be significantly easier than what they face this year so um, the excuses won't be there and if you can't win with all those things finally working in your favor then I think you really have to ask a tough question about you know if Tiv Miles is the guy and if he's going to be the one to get the job done especially when you consider all the amount of money and resources that have been put behind this program since he's been here um, at some point you have to show results and if that doesn't happen by, by next season um, you know then I think you know the writing's on the wall. Robin, you mentioned next year's schedule. What do we know about the non-conference? Obviously, Creighton and Kansas are on that schedule, but what's the tournament and, and what are some of the other games? Because I really feel the first thing they went wrong with this year is over-scheduling. I mean, they should not have scheduled to the magnitude that they did yeah. uh, when you break it down uh, with what this team was. I mean, you know, because if you could have just had maybe three or four replacement games that you win – it might have a different feel right now, but the fact that you kind of played almost every non-conference game, I think 75% of them were tough games, and and, and and that's not easy to do if you're trying to kind of coach for your job. Yeah, and, you know, they built that schedule thinking that the roster was going to look a lot different. Um, you know, they anticipated having Andrew White back. They anticipated... Anton Gill, you know, not only being healthy, but being a much better player than what he was when he was healthy. Uh, and so, you know, there were a lot of uh, things that happened by the time that schedule was finalized to, you know, when the season started that, you know, didn't go exactly how Nebraska expected. So um, that that made things pretty difficult when you're relying on a young team with, uh, you know, guys that are seeing minutes that, you know, they probably um, shouldn't be seeing uh, to play that that level of competition um, you know, obviously makes things difficult. So, uh, you know, as far as next season goes, I mean, they, they have a tournament. Um, I can't remember it off the top of my head right now. Um, but it, it, it's is it a four team or eight? Team? Yeah, it's a it's a eight, an eight team deal again. And I th I want to say it's down in Florida, but anyway, don't quote me on that. I have to I have to look it up. But uh, yeah, because uh, that was last year was probably the toughest you know, pre-Christmas tournament they've been in in a number of years. Yeah. I mean, when you start off with, um, you know, a team that won 25 games a year ago in Dayton, I mean, that's your opening game. And then you happen to win that game. And then you play UCLA, who at that point was a top five team. Uh, I mean, that's... And then Virginia Tech. Yeah. And then you go up against a Virginia Tech team who, uh, just after beating 
Nebraska went on to beat Michigan in Ann Arbor uh, the very next time out. So, I mean, you know, that, that, that was a, a grind right there. And you're talking about only being, you know, six games into your season. And then, oh, yeah, you travel all the way across the country your very next game out for the ACC Big Ten Challenge game against Clemson and lose that game in the final second. So, I mean, it, it was a, a meat grinder start to this year. Uh, and, you know, that really kind of, I think, set the tone um, for a, an uphill battle that this season has been all year yeah, long. Yeah, you get behind on your bills, and sometimes mm-hmm. you just can't get caught up. And that, that's kind of what's happened to this team. I mean, they, they've had moments where it's looked promising, but they still are kind of – they can't balance the books. You know, it's just, it's just been one of those types of years. And, Robin, uh, Tim Miles didn't get a contract extension last year. That will be the elephant in the room. Like, how – how does Sean Eichhorst go forward with this? I mean, we know that these guys aren't drinking buddies. They're not hanging out. He's not coming over and staying the night at, at Eichhorst's house and, and spending time with him like maybe the football guys are doing. So there's kind of a clear line of professionalism there with the, these two. Um, Eichhorst hasn't really shown his hand, kind of a similar fashion the way things went down with Polini. So um, the next month or two will be very interesting to see how they go forward with Tim Miles, what kind of boat of confidence, if any, will they give him? Will they give him another year? Uh, there are a lot of questions that need to be answered by the administration side about what they want to do going forward. Yeah, and as we all know, uh, I, of course, MO isn't to go and give, you know, daily, um, you know, reaffirming uh, statements about, you know, the, the status of coaches. Um, unless it's Mike Riley, uh, but th- th- that's kind of just the way that he's always kind of operated, and I don't expect that really to change. Um, and th- there's the kind of a, I guess, a misconception in my opinion that you know if a coach isn't renewed, then that's a negative tool in recruiting. Like, I mean, it, it only goes so far with kids. I mean, the, the, the real reality is, uh, if they go into next season and do what they're supposed to do, you know, we're not even having this discussion right now. And um, Tim Miles is still under contract, and you know, up until 2020. So I mean, it's not like just because he's not getting that additional year put on his contract that all of a sudden he's not he's going to be uh, his contract's going to be expire next season. So I mean, he's still got a lot of time left on that contract. So. You know, I mean, the the fact is that the guys that are recruiting now will still probably play, you know, three or four years at minimum under Tim Miles if he doesn't get renewed. So I don't think that's really a pressing issue right now. But, um, you know, the, sometimes you do need to have, you know, your, your administration step up and offer that boat of support, um, especially, you know, when a team's going through a tough time like Nebraska is right now. And uh Again, I wouldn't expect anything to happen until after the season, but at some point it would be nice if Sean Eichhorst does plan on keeping Tim Miles to just go ahead and get that out of the way uh, to kind of keep that talk at bay, uh, at least for another year. Like, like I said, when when the real... Well, we saw what it did to Polini. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it just it just roasted things, and, and, and I think that was by design. I mean, they, they kind of wanted to create yeah. a chaotic environment where they mentally messed with Bo Polini, and, and, you know, and, it, and it worked. I mean, the guy kind of lost his... What composure, um, you know, and and could not handle the fact he didn't know where he stood. Um, so you, you have to think that goes through Miles' mind a little bit that you know he, he doesn't know where he stands right now, mm-hmm. and, and and that can mess with anybody. I don't care. I mean, because you work very hard to get to this point. So uh, a lot to discuss um, as this final month of the basketball season continues. Well, we come back. We're going to bring in Matt Reynoldson our Husker Online intern, and we'll take your questions next here in the mailbag. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. 
And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Wash at Nate Klaus. Now we bring in our intern, Matt Reynoldson, as it's time to take your questions here in the weekly Husker, on mail, mail, uh, Husker Online mailbag, Matt. Uh, great to have you back on. I know it was a very busy uh, signing day for you, la- yeah, you, you and David last week, so it's great to have you on here this week. Yeah, and it's great to be here for Milestone, your 100th ever Husker Online show. How the heck did that happen, by the way, Robin and Nate? We have done 100 straight weeks of the Husker Online radio show, and uh, we kind of just launched this literally in my basement, and we still tape it in my basement, but we at least have like a professional studio now, and we're uh, aired on multiple affiliates around the state of Nebraska, 93.7 The Ticket, um, ESPN Radio and Carney and Hastings, 1110 KFAB um, as well. So um, it's crazy what an idea in our basement has turned into over the last 100 shows. But uh, it's great, Robin, to, to, to get to do this every week with you guys. It's come a long way, you know, and the fact that people are still listening to us after 100 episodes says a lot. You know, we're, we're obviously, you know, not making total nonsense up. The time has flown, though. I, I, <laughs> It doesn't feel like I've spent a uh, hundred days in Sean's basement doing the show. Yeah, when you do put it like that, hundred <laughs> days in Sean's basement. <laughs> All right. Well, we've got a busy uh, mailbag here. Let, let's. What do you got for us this week, Matt? A few questions about Bob Elliott. If he is indeed hired on as Nebraska's safety coach, do you think he'll play an analyst role as well? Well, I mean, I, I don't think he'll be. I mean, he's going to be a coach, um, and uh, he's going to be a right hand man. And I think it's a theory, as I mentioned in the opening segment, you kind of want to have someone next to you that's smarter than you, that knows more than you, but that you trust. And, and that's where Bob Elliott comes in. He, he's a mentor, um, kind of a father figure in the coaching world to Bob Diaco. And, you know, when you put that kind of guy next to Elliott, I think, or next to Diaco, uh, I think that's really what the design of this hire is all about. Yeah, I mean, just like we, he'll be a sounding board and, you know, coaches meetings and whatnot and, um, you know, with game planning um, from a week to week basis. But, you know, at the same time, he's got his own, uh, you know, plate where he's got to, you know, coach an entire position uh, on the defense every week. So uh, the, the analyst role will be limited. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, for me, it's a, it's a he provides a, a different perspective as what a lot of the other coaches can provide, and and the fact that he's so close with with Bob Diaco and and knows that defense so well um, is is probably right at the top of the board. So a different type of hire to control different types of players, and so name a surprise player that you think will make a big splash in the spring and fall. Who? That's a. I mean. <laughs> Oh, we're sticking on defense, obviously. Yep. Um, with, with the scheme change, man, that I, I think, man, there, there's so many ways you could go with this debate. Um, but I think Freedom Akamaladun will be better in this scheme. I don't know if he's fast. I mean, people think he's just like fast Randy Gregory guy, but he's not. I think he's going to be a better fit as a three-four defensive end. Um, and I think you're going to see some moves. Um, with with players that are DNs that will move to linebacker on the outside, and that will be the most intriguing thing to see kind of who they go with in some of these moves. Yeah, it's hard to pinpoint one of them, but I'm really intrigued to see how this linebacker situation shakes out in between uh, not only who's playing inside, who's playing outside, and what types of you know, like you said, Sean, the ends that potentially move um, to maybe that that pass rushing you know outside linebacker. Um, but you know, there, there's some guys that I think that are going to get opportunities that they otherwise might not get. You know the Muhammad Berries, the Tyron Fergusons, and, um, you know, you, you go down the list. I mean, there's a lot of athletes that Nebraska can, you know, have a much better chance to use uh, than they probably wouldn't have uh, in the previous scheme. 
Yeah, I'm kind of looking at that 2016 recruiting class with some guys that redshirted last year, like a Colin Miller, Quayshon Alexander. I think this move really benefits those guys in their skill sets, and I'm really excited to see you know what they really bring to the table this spring and, and if they can possibly have kind of a breakout spring. Sticking with the player personnel theme, does Nebraska have a two-way player currently on the roster? <laughs> um you know, I don't. I don't know if you're going to see anybody. It's it's so hard to do, and it's kind of as Nate can shed light on. It's become a recruiting pitch with some of these high profile West Coast guys because everybody wants to be the next Adoree Jackson. Um, but when you look at this group of guys, I just don't see anyone, Nate, um, in the incoming freshman class that you would put on both offense and defense. Well, a reminder last year that. When Nebraska was low on quarterbacks, Lamar Jackson was listed as a name to possibly play quarterback. Yeah, and and that was, I mean, that was brought up in Lamar Jackson's recruitment that hey, there's a possibility that that you could play some wide receiver, um, or you know, if if we ever had a a gadget play or you know, kind of a gimmicky you know quarter you know wildcat quarterback deal, um, you could see yourself there. So I mean, Lamar Jackson is a possible you know guy that could could play both ways but um you know elijah blades has done it too in this in this recruiting class although i mean that really wasn't brought up to him as far as being a, you know in a dory jackson package or jabril peppers type of guy so um i don't really see it on anybody on the roster or, or on, with too many incoming i think guys. sue's the last guy i mean sue did some fullback remember yeah, yeah. um and and that, that was i felt like to kind of build this heisman campaign oh, for sure and did he catch a touchdown in one game or did i know they tried to throw to him once. I want to say that he did catch a touchdown in the flat. Um, yeah, I, I remember that. Yeah, he got he one. He was still no Barry Turner, though. No. <laughs> well, Barry Turner was a really good high school I know he was. tight end. And they used him. All right, what do you got left here, Matt? Um, Juco transfers. Any any buzz on that? I know a lot of people are talking about a nose tackle transfer from UConn. Um, well, yeah. That, I mean, if that's that would be a graduate transfer if that happens. Does he and, want to be a graduate transfer? Do we even know I, that? We don't yet? even know that. But there's there's most definitely some speculation out there that he could be a potential candidate for a grad transfer, um, and and he would be a good get. I and mean, when you look at his numbers, and I'm drawing a blank on his name right now, but when you look at the the production that he put up last year, he he for a nose nose tackle in, in the three four, he put up some tremendous numbers. I know he was kind of the the rock of of their front seven there at UConn. And, and uh, I mean, obviously he knows the defense. Uh, I'm sure that the Bob Diaco is is uh, pretty familiar with him as well. So, I mean, there's a lot of connections. I, I think it would make sense, but we'll see what happens. I mean, Nebraska tried to get one last year with uh, Stevie Tui He ended up being really good. Uh, he did end up being really good. I mean, he was a big time player for uh, for USC. So, uh, I mean, that kind of that really hurt missing out on him. But we'll see what happens when you go that grad transfer route. All of a sudden, um, you know, maybe with maybe one school in mind, all of a sudden there's there's a bunch of options on the table. Um, you know, USC's, Alabama's, big time programs like that come calling. Uh, so we'll we'll see what happens. What about high school guys? What are the positions that Nebraska feels they need to focus on in 2018 recruiting class? Well, I think there's uh, I mean, the offensive and defensive lines are, are givens. I mean, those are those are two 
position groups that I think Nebraska always has to continue to focus on going forward, especially being in the Big Ten. Uh, but defensive backs are going to be huge. I think they're going to have to sign four defensive backs in this class, um, with possibly three of them being corners. Um, you know, since they only brought in one defensive back signee in this past class, and and then wide receivers again are, are going to be crucial. I think they'll take three. Um, you know, and after kind of falling short the past two years, um, Keith Williams is going to have to kind of hit another home run with three big time. Uh, talented players in this year's recruiting class, and I think he can do that. I, I, in fact, I expect him to do it. But um, yeah, those are probably the two biggest uh, needs going into uh, 2018. All right. Well, that wraps it up here uh, for this edition of the mailbag segment. As always, each week you get the chance to uh, post your questions on the Red Sea Scrolls on Wednesday, and and we'll take the best ones here on the air. And sometimes we might work a troll question or two in uh, <laughs> if the interns feel like it's necessary. But uh, when we come back, we will close the show with more recruiting talk. That's next year. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Final segment here of the Husker Online Show, Sean Callan and A. Klaus, as we close it up like we do every week, talking some Husker recruiting and you know still some work going on Nate in this 2017 class particularly uh, with a very high profile walk on uh, target and Cade Warner the son of former NFL Hall of Fame quarterback Kurt Warner and um, you know there's some thoughts that uh, he'll be he's going to be visiting Nebraska unofficially this weekend you got to think maybe is there a Billy Devaney connection there to Kurt Warner at all from the NFL days um, or anything like that that could help Nebraska just with the familiarity and relationships with that Warner family yeah I'm, I'm not exactly sure what the primary connection is or, or was for Nebraska and, and Cade Warner I know that one of the defensive GAs um, used to coach at, at the same high school that, that Cade Warner is at so that's actually that has been one of the one of the main connections or main uh, sources of, of information where um, I think you know Nebraska's need for for walk on wide receiver um, or wide receivers in general kind of kind of came from and, and how the ball kind of got rolling there but obviously I would think that Kurt Warner has crossed paths with Mike Riley before or Billy Devaney before um, you know especially going back to you know being, both of them being tied to St. Louis uh, with the Rams and everything. So, um, and, and then of, and of course, Kurt's from originally from Iowa. So I think that he's probably got some connections uh, back in the Midwest too. But it's an interesting deal because this is a this is a player who played for one of the biggest high schools in the state of Arizona. Had over a thousand yards receiving. A six two, one hundred ninety pound kid who's got terrific hands um, and. Uh, uh, had an outstanding senior season, but has literally no offers, no scholarship offers. He's got an offer to San Diego, but that's like a that's a non-paid, um, you non-scholarship, know, non-scholarship division, division one. Jim Harbaugh was a the coach there, though, yep. and, and they actually made the FCS playoffs as a non-scholarship D ones. But yeah, it's it's a different. It's like when a kid tells us they get a Drake offer, we're like, well, you know, yep. Drake doesn't offer scholarships. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, it's it's totally bizarre to be honest with you. Like you would think that this kid, especially being Kurt Warner's son, uh, would have at least like a Northern Arizona or something, but he has nothing. <laughs> Um, you know, Cal has kind of come in the picture. Iowa had been in the picture. Um, but 
he's going to be visiting Nebraska this weekend, and and uh, and I kind of feel like if the visit goes well and and they're comfortable with with everything, Nebraska should be able to land uh, Cade Warner this weekend. And um, like you mentioned in the open, this was be kind of a, another high profile recruit. Um, you know, the son of a high-profile dad, um, you know, kind of go right along with Keyshawn Johnson Sr. and and Les Miles. And, it's going to um, be a hell of a parents' picnic football game going on yeah, with all these dads out there. Think about that. All those Les Miles, Keyshawn Johnson Sr. Could uh, we get Keyshawn and, and Kurt to, to, to run some routes or something? That'd be pretty fun to see. Well, and Rick Spielman come down, the GM from, uh, from the Vikings. <laughs> I mean, seriously. Les Miles can coach him up. Yep. I mean, uh, there are, there are some, some big-time – uh, dads that are all of a sudden tied with Nebraska's program, but uh, I do think that if things go well this weekend, we could very well see Cade Warner be brought on as a walk-on. And and personally, from watching the film, I think he's the type of kid who uh, will definitely end his career at Nebraska if he were to choose to come uh, to Lincoln on scholarship. I, I think he's the type of kid that that eventually uh, gets put on scholarship a year or two down the road. Uh, obviously, you know, much like Keyshawn Jr. Um, is very polished kid and understands the game extremely well. Understands uh, you know how to prepare and, and everything that goes this into would be playing a, football. If they get this guy in the walk on, this would be you know a really good walk on class. Considering kind of how much it, I don't want to say it fell off, but let, let's call it what it is. Last year's walk on class was one of the more underwhelming groups that you and I have seen, and then a lot of that was the transition of mm-hmm. kind of not having a guy running it that really knew the state. And and I think with Kenny Wilhite kind of directing it this year, they did a much better job. John Perella got heavily involved and this would kind of be the final piece. And, um, you know, you mentioned this high profile nature of it. It kind of reminds you a little bit. Robert Gronkowski had a brother that walked on at Kansas state and ended up being like a draft pick. And I'm not saying this kid's a draft pick, but it's just crazy that, you know, when you have the high-profile name like this, that you could fly under the radar, especially with the numbers that he had. Maybe he made it known that they didn't want to go to, like, a lower-profile D1, that they had intentions really of only going to a big-time program. Yeah, I don't, and I don't think that's the case. It very well could be, but I don't think that uh, that's really how the Warners operate. I think that they would have been open to pretty much anybody. Um, now, I do know that another connection was uh, Danny Langsdorf was down in Phoenix watching an underclassman quarterback work out uh, at Basha High School um, and and Cade Warner happened to be running routes for him that day during during the workout that Danny Langsdorf watched so um, I know Danny Langsdorf's been able to, to kind of see him work out in person and was uh, obviously impressed with him too but uh, definitely an interesting development uh, not only because Nebraska needs quality wide receivers but all of the other kind of storylines that, that come along with it and, and who knows maybe this could kind of help Nebraska get back into the Phoenix area because that's a that's an area that has been pumping out a ton of talent and there's a there's a handful of former Huskers down there. And Charlie McBride lives down there, right? Charlie, yeah, Charlie McBride lives down there. Um, you know, you've got uh, Bobby Newcomb, uh, Baron Miles, uh, you know, Toby Wright. Uh, oh, as far as Kenny. West Coast cities, Arizona has as big of a Husker presence of any city as far as fans. I mean, mm-hmm. you go, I used to go down there for years and speak to hundreds of Husker fans at these clubs down there. And, and there's probably three or four Husker bars down there um, and transplants that move out there. I mean, it, it definitely is kind of one of those 
towns where if Nebraska played a game at Arizona State, I mean, there'd be 20,000 Nebraska fans there just because of how many people from Nebraska live out in Arizona. Yeah, easily. Uh, I know there's a there's a Nebraska store, like a, a fan shop or an apparel store uh, yeah, oh, in yeah, Scottsdale. Right in downtown Scottsdale. Uh, I've, been, I've been to the lady's house. Um, <laughs> she's got a parrot that can say, Husker. <laughs> I mean, this lady's about as diehard as it gets. Um, she's a real estate agent, has the store. Um You've got um, a Clancy's bar owned by the Clancy's owners of Omaha down in Scottsdale. Wow. So yeah, it's it's a it's funny when you go down in some of these cities. Um, how many uh, Husker connections are down there? One other thing, Nate, I wanted to get on here before we run out of time. Um, we talked with Cam Jurgens this week. Uh, mentioned a little bit about him earlier in the show, but um, this is something that I think you and I both maybe saw coming. But uh, Jurgens could end up being a better fit now going forward as an outside linebacker or an inside linebacker in Bob Diaco's scheme versus maybe a tight end. Yeah, I, th- I think so. And and we've kind of t- talked about it a little bit uh, in the past. I mean, Cameron Jurgens, when he committed to Nebraska, uh, was already a phenomenal athlete, but uh, he was super young. And, and we knew that he was going to continue to grow, continue to, to kind of mature and develop. Well, um, when we saw him this week, he's 6'4", 245, you know, still super, super broad shoulders, Lean. Uh, looks skinny at 245 so who knows how big he's actually going to end up being but um, I, I do I, I think that that he might have more opportunity to make a bigger impact on the defensive side of the football uh, either as an outside or inside linebacker uh, in this especially in the new defensive scheme and um, and maybe even you know improve his chances to, to make a little bit more money uh, possibly playing professionally if things go that that route with for him eventually but yeah you look at like a Vince Beagle or TJ Watt at Wisconsin how they are utilized in the three four Nate I mean he's built a lot like those guys are and he's athletic enough to do a lot of the same things those guys did last year yeah I, re- I really think so and um and he's open to that he he told us you know I, I think I think he'd ideally would like to to continue to be a tight end but but he did say he said hey look I'm a football player so wherever Nebraska needs me is is where I could uh you know is where I'm going to play and and I know he, he said that he had a conversation with Tavita Thompson here just recently when and Tavita told him flat out hey you could potentially play about five different positions for us. Uh, when, once you get on campus, you're you're that good, you're that athletic. Uh, so that's something that is obviously being talked about by Nebraska, and um, and it is we're going to continue to talk about it going forward too. Well, that wraps it up here for this edition of the Husker Online Show. Make sure you log on the site as well. Plenty of news, more from the in-state tour and um, other breaking news uh, involving the coaching staff. All that here. Uh, on HuskerOnline.com. Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.